You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. I am so thankful that we get to do this on the first day of the week as we bring our hearts before the Lord to uh, hear from his word. Uh, If you need a Bible, the ushers are in the aisles. Just raise your hands and uh, they'll give you a Bible. And you're going to want to find your way to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis 32. We're looking at a fascinating portion of scripture today. The title of the message is Wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. Victory through surrender. And uh, a lot for us to glean from there. Uh, We had a break where we did a little four-week series for Easter. So enjoyed studying the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus with you. But now we jump back into Genesis. And we're looking at the the life of Jacob. Um, uh, Jacob is a fascinating character. Extremely gifted. Very intelligent. A brilliant man full of charisma, full of ability, uh, quick on his feet, street smarts, uh, just an amazing guy. Uh, But he is no stranger to turmoil. He has had turmoil virtually in all of his life. Uh, In his home life, uh, he was the second born of a twin. Uh, God had a covenant on his life. God had made a covenant with his grandfather Abraham that was then passed down to his father Isaac, and now that covenant is on Jacob. A covenant? What is that? Well, a covenant is a promise from God that is stronger than death. Even death cannot break it. And what was the covenant? Well, that God was going to make Jacob into a great nation. That he was going to give him an offspring that would become a great nation, more in multitude than uh, he could ever dream. Furthermore, that the Messiah, Jesus, the Savior, would come through his lineage. And that that kingdom would remain forever. That this homeland that would be, be given to them would be theirs forever. And this was the covenant that God made with them. This covenant is upon Jacob's life. And yet Jacob, uh, being such a talented man, turmoil following him everywhere because, uh, well, his name, it means deceiver. It means trickster. It means swindler. And he is that indeed. And from his earliest childhood, he's been scheming and conniving uh, to do life his way. Uh, He stole the birthright from his brother Esau, even though God had already given it to him, to Jacob. It wasn't enough. Jacob had to make sure he got it himself. Instead of just trusting God, he needed to make sure that he secured the deal. And so he deceives his brother multiple times. And in doing so, his brother gets so fed up that he wants to kill him. And so Jacob has a problem. Now his brother is so mad, uh, he's got to get the heck out of Dodge. 
And uh, his parents tell him, hey, why don't you go up to Haran, get away for a little while, find a girl, settle down. If you want, you can marry. Uh, uh, who is that, Jim Croce? Uh, you got to be old to know that, right? Uh, uh, how quickly I go sideways, by the way. So he goes up to Haran, 500 and plus mile journey, 550 mile journey up to Haran, stays with Uncle Laban and falls in love with Rachel. She's beautiful. But when he goes there, uh, God gives him a taste of his own medicine. Jacob has been a trickster, a deceiver, and he introduces him to Uncle Laban, who was a trickster deceiver. How's it feel, Jacob? God will often align things in our lives to reveal ourselves to us to go, ooh, is that what I look like? And yet Jacob doesn't hear the message, and he continues on in his ways. And so his, his uncle Laban tricks him, and he works seven years for Rachel, but he tricks him and gives him a, a, his, his older daughter instead, and he has to work another seven years for Laban. Uh, and then uh, he does so, and, and Jacob then works a deal with him to uh, stay another six-year period, and he works for that next six years, and, and during that six years, Jacob puts the screws to Laban. Every business deal Jacob does, he twists it to make him be super successful at Laban's expense. And God blesses him. He was already blessing him, but Jacob uh, takes that blessing and just puts the screws to Laban all the more. So much so that now Laban and his sons are now looking at Jacob sideways going, this guy is ripping us off. And now Laban has big tension with Jacob. And wherever Jacob goes, these problems follow him. Why? Well, because there's a character issue in Jacob's life. And Jacob's character is what produces all this turmoil. And how many of you know that uh, your character determines the fruit of your life? And that moving won't fix that. Sometimes we get a problem, right? Like, well, I'm going to move to a new house. We're going to start over. Good luck, because wherever you go, guess what? There you are. And the baggage that you left at the old house will be at the new house, because it's a character issue. And Jacob finds that. And so Jacob has to leave Haran, and he leaves in the middle of the night, because the tensions are so high, sneaks out the back door, and Jacob is now incredibly wealthy. He's got thousands of livestock. He's got scores of servants. He's got a giant company. He has 12 children. And he leaves in the middle of the night while Laban is away on a business trip and goes and starts heading back home to the promised land. And as he heads back home, he gets all the way to the mountains of Gilead, about, a, about a 500 miles. And he gets all the way to the mountains of Gilead and finds out that Laban is chasing him. And there in the mountains of Gilead, Uncle Laban catches up to him. And Laban, guess what Laban wants to do to Jacob? Same thing Esau wants to do to Jacob. Kill him. I'm going to kill that guy. And Laban gets close to Jacob there as he approaches the mountains of Gilead. And God intervenes and speaks to Laban and says, do not touch my guy. 
this divine blessing and protection on Jacob's life. And so Laban comes and they make a, they make a treaty, Mizpah. It's not a peaceful treaty. It's a don't you touch me and I won't touch you treaty. They build a border wall right there at Mizpah. And, and Laban says, I won't go past this wall and ever come see you again. And don't you ever pass this wall and come see me again. We are separate. And uh, Laban says goodbye to all his 12 grandkids, says goodbye to his daughters, says good riddance to Jacob, and they separate. And now Jacob comes in, and he's coming back home, uh, and he's facing a, a major problem. Uh, he's got Laban on this side, up to the north, who wants to kill him. And now he makes his way down south, back to his home, and he's remembering what? Esau. Haven't seen him for 20 years, and Esau wants to kill me. That's a tough place to be in. And this is the fruit of Jacob's life. This is where he's at right now. And here we're going to see a wrestling match with God that is just uh, the pinnacle or the icon or the, uh, the, the, the revelation of what Jacob's whole life has been, a wrestling match. Uh, and fascinating story. Let's jump in. Let's pray as we open God's word. Genesis 32. Uh, Lord, we come before you and we open your word, Lord, and we ask that you would be here with us. Lord, we want to know you. We have worshiped you in song. We have worshiped you in praise. And now, Lord, we want to worship you with our minds to learn your ways, to take on your ways, and to learn of you, that our character might be changed by you, that we might see you as you are and allow you to speak to our hearts so Holy Spirit, we invite you here. Please minister to each and every one. For we prayed in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Genesis 32, are you there? Yes. Verse 1. So Jacob went on his way from the mountains of Gilead, where he had just had this confrontation with Laban. And look at this. And the angels of God met him. Angels of God. You want to know what that means? It means angels of God. <laughs> God pulls back the veil and Jacob actually sees into the spirit world. Interesting. The angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, oh my goodness, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Uh, very interesting. We'll stop here just for a moment. Uh, Jacob is in total turmoil. He's got Laban wanting to kill him over here. He's coming down south. He's like, what do I do? And there in his time of distress and trouble, God manifest himself to him. God gives him a glimpse into the spiritual world. And like a good father, God reveals himself when Jacob is in trouble. Isn't that kind? God comes and encourages Jacob in his hour of great distress. God lifts the veil of the spiritual world and allows Jacob to see things that you and I cannot see. He gets a glimpse into the spiritual world. I want you to know the spiritual world is alive and well. It is very real. It is more real than the substance and the things that we touch. 
The Bible says the things that we see and touch are passing away. They're not going to remain forever. The spiritual world will remain forever. I want you to know you are a spiritual being. You live in a body, but that body will not last forever. But your spirit, it will last forever. And you are here for a reason. God made you because he desires a relationship with you. And he gives you a brief period of 70 years on this little ball that spins around the sun to decide if you want to know your creator who loves you and has done everything he can to reveal himself to you. Uh, that is the purpose of this life. And the spiritual world will remain forever. The physical world will be eliminated. And God, in his great grace and mercy towards Jacob, and during Jacob's trouble, he lifts the veil, and he goes, Jacob, I'm with you. And how encouraging it must have been for Jacob's soul to know, oh my gosh. And he says, oh, this is, this is amazing, man. This God is here. Uh, I want you to know uh, there is a spiritual world that is very real. Uh, there are uh, a spiritual world that is for you. And there is also a spiritual world that is what? Against you. And we need to be wise to this. Uh, the uh, prophet Elisha was there in his house one day and suddenly an entire army comes in and starts surrounding his house. It was the army of the Syrians. And the backstory to it is, Elisha was God's prophet. And he would inform the commander of Israel's army wherever the Syrian army was setting up their next ambush. God would reveal it to him by divine revelation, and Elisha would tell the Israeli uh, commander what was happening. So the Israeli commander was able to always thwart the Syrian army. And the Syrian uh, general says, we have a spy in our midst. Someone is leaking secrets. I know that doesn't happen. Uh, someone is leaking secrets <laughs> and telling the Israeli army what's going on. When I find him, he's a dead man. And all the, Israeli ar excuse me, all the Syrian army is scared. Uh, a guy in the Syrian army comes up to the general and says, General, you don't have a spy. There is a living God. And he has a prophet named Elijah. And Elisha tells the, the Israeli general what you are doing in your bedroom. Your deepest secrets, in other words. And so that general of the Syrian army sends an entire army to Elisha's house. To do what? To take him out. And so Elisha has a servant. Elijah's there eating his bagel in the morning, drinking a cup of coffee. And Elijah's servant goes out to get the newspaper and comes in and says, Oh my gosh, Elijah, we're in huge trouble. What do you mean we're in huge trouble? We're completely surrounded by the Syrian army. They're loaded to the gills with weaponry and they're here to kill you. Elisha doesn't even set his bagel down. He says... There are more that are for us than against us. And the servant says, are you crazy? 
There are hundreds of soldiers out there against us. It's only you and I, and we don't even have a weapon. And he says, there are more that are for us than they are against us. And he says a simple prayer, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And he tells the servant, go back outside. And the servant goes back outside, and he sees all the Syrian army. And he looks up, and you know what else he sees? A glimpse into the spiritual world. And there are angels lined, way more in number than the Syrian army, all around Elijah's house, protecting him. And we don't have time to go on and what the story happens, but it reveals God every now and then there is a thin veil, just like we can only see this much of the light spectrum. When the light spectrum is this wide, we only see a small little sliver of it. Well, there is a spiritual world that is right here with us. And oh, how sometimes I wish we could see. Do you know there's angels around this place right now? Uh, the book of Hebrews would tell us, chapter 2, verse 14, if my memory serves me correctly, that do you not know that all angels are ministering spirits? They are sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. Wow. How amazing uh, that there are angels, that their job is to coordinate and do things so that things on earth happen so that those who will receive salvation will be guarded and protected in their path. Great to know. Did you know you have guardian angels? Yes. Jesus taught that. Uh, Jesus made it very clear. Uh, Matthew chapter 8, uh, Jesus would say, let me hear you read uh, Matthew chapter 8. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. How amazing. Uh, uh, the context here is that these little ones, well, these were children that Jesus was speaking of who people were forbidding them to come to Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, don't forbid them to come. Let them come. And do not make sure that you don't despise one of these little ones for their angels always behold the face of my father. Wow. I am quite sure when I get to the end of my life, I'm going to see my guardian angel. And he's going to go, dude, you put me through the ringer. <laughs> the way you drive, are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. All the foolish things you did in your youth. I mean, do you know how many times I saved you? You know, did you rub my lamp? Did you bring me here? Right? Like, crazy, right? Uh, what, what an amazing world. And God lifts the veil for Jacob. Why? Because in times of trouble, God draws near to us. And he comes near to Jacob. He says, Jacob, I'm with you in this. Uh, you can rest in me. You can trust in me. I'm with you. Jacob is facing utter calamity, fearing for his very life. Uh, the way he sees it, he has no way out. He's got angry Laban behind him. And he's got angry Esau in front of him. That's a significant problem. And in Jacob's perspective, he has nowhere to go. And how kind of God to come along and to encourage Jacob and just to say, Jacob, I'm here with you. I'm in this. Uh, uh, and, and, and I want you to know the same is true for you. And when you go through hard times, uh, God is near in the time of trouble. Uh, what an amazing promise, right? Uh, i got some verses for you. Psalm 50, take a look at this. I love this verse. 
Super small. Look how small that is, but look how powerful it is. Let me hear you read this in a loud, thundering voice. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. What's that? Yeah, when you're in trouble, just call upon me, and I will deliver you. And when I deliver you, you know what you're going to say? Oh, God, you're so good. You're so good. And God is revealing to Jacob, Jacob, I'm with you in this. I'm with you in this. I want you to know if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, this promise is for you. This is what God says for you. Call upon me. I want to do life with you. I will be your strong arm. I will deliver you. And I have found God is a way better deliverer than I am. God is a way better protector than I am. And if I try to defend myself, God will let me. But if I let him defend me, oh, he is powerful. I will deliver you in the day of trouble, and you will praise me, and you will glorify me. I have seen it. Uh, it is, it's, it's awesome. But I want you to know something. This is only for those who make Jesus their Lord and Savior. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, this promise is not for you. Do you want to know what the next verse says? Well, take a look. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes? My statutes? Yeah, my teachings, that God is just, that God is kind, that God is merciful, that God is loving. What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant? My covenant? Yeah, my promises in your mouth. Seeing that you hate instruction and you cast my words behind you. You don't walk in my ways. You hate my ways. I don't hate your ways. Oh, yeah, yeah, you do. I said that you shouldn't live together and, and have relations before marriage. You said, I'm not doing that. I hate that. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, I say, this is what I define marriage as. You say, I'm not doing that. I'm going to define it my way. Uh, I say, this is what I want. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do it my You hate my ways, God says. Let's go on. Uh, when you saw a thief, you consented with him. You've been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. Every election, you vote against me. Everything that I value, you try to change and twist and turn it into something else. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Next verse. These things you have done, and I kept what? Silent. Lightning didn't strike me when I voted against God's plan for marriage. Lightning didn't strike me when I voted for abortion. I kept silent. And you thought I was altogether like you. You thought that your views were my views. You could not be more wrong. I will rebuke you. And I will set them in order before, you, before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. These verses follow the verse that those who make him Lord, I will call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. But you who hate my ways, oh, you have trouble coming. You can be sure. Uh, let's go on, finish the verse. Whoever offers praise glorifies me. And to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. How powerful. How powerful. Uh, only true if Jesus is your Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, you have no need to face calamity. 
We're looking at the world. We're seeing all that's going on. Uh, it seems like it's getting darker as each day would go on. Uh, that evil is like prevailing. I want you to know something. God has everything under control. And you can rest in pure comfort in the day of trouble. Because the world is moving forward exactly as the scriptures foretold that it would. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. They are calling what is light darkness, and they are calling darkness light. They are calling good evil and evil good. There is an apostasy even in the church. All of these things are foretold in Scripture. God is sovereign. He's in control. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I am with you. I will deliver you. And church, I want you to know as the world gets darker and darker, the light that shines out of your life gets brighter and brighter. Uh, as the world gets darker and darker, the beacon of light that comes out of the mission church gets brighter and brighter and brighter. These are great times to be living in, and you can be at rest. If Jesus is your Lord, oh, you have divine protection. But hey, if Jesus is not your Lord, calamity awaits you. And I tell you, we are facing turbulent times. As Russia and China and the... Uh, 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 Arab nations begin to trade now not with a dollar, but with Japanese, excuse me, uh, Chinese currency. Uh, things are changing rapidly. And this next year may look very different than the world we know right now. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you. I will reveal the spiritual host that I have around you. I will set your life apart. You are mine. And I cannot wait for uh, uh, just watching God's strong hand upon our life. Uh, one more verse, uh, Psalm 9, uh, verse 9. Uh, let me hear you read this. Uh, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And those who know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Great promises. Pay attention, though. For those who what? Seek you. For those who what? Know your name. Here's the question. Do you know his name? What is his name? His name is Jesus. But that's not what this means. Do you know his name? Uh, his name is his character, is his person. Uh, it's his mind. Uh, your, uh, a name represented all who you are. Uh, those who know his name. Here's the question. Do you know his name? Those who know his name, uh, he will be a refuge in the, for the oppressed. He'll be a refuge in the time of trouble. Problem is, Jacob doesn't know his name. Oh, he knows his name is Yahweh, but he doesn't know his character. He doesn't trust him. He hasn't made him the Lord of his life. He hasn't put all of his confidence in him. And uh, he is still trusting in his own abilities. Uh, and that is a problem. Jacob names this place Mahanaim. Mahanaim. It is there in Gilead, Mahanaim. And Mahanaim means two camps. Two camps. Two camps? What does he mean, two camps? Jacob calls it Mahanaim, two camps. Why does he call it two camps? 
What camps is he talking about? Well, he's got his giant camp with thousands of livestock, hundreds of servants, 12 kids. This is my camp, and the other camp is God's camp. Wow, I didn't realize this was God's camp. Happened to be at the right spot. This is God's camp. I'll call this two camps, mine and God's. And that reveals something about Jacob. That reveals some cracks in Jacob's theology. That reveals some cracks in Jacob's relationship with God. There's Jacob's stuff and there's God's stuff. And these two are different. I want you to know that's a huge mistake. Many, like Jacob, make the mistake of living in two camps. Church life and regular life. Church life and secular life. Spiritual life and secular life. As if they're different camps. And if Jesus is your Lord, there is only one camp. Do not make the mistake of being like Jacob and living in two different camps. Many do. They live their life, their regular life at work and at school, and at the gym, and with their friends, and when they go to the beach, oh, that's regular life. And then on Sunday, they change their shirt, and they put on church life. <laughs> and when you wear your church shirt, you say, how you doing, brother? Praise the Lord. And then you take that shirt off, and you go back to, hey, what's up? <laughs> regular life. Two different camps. Can I tell you? Messed up. Messed up. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. This means there's not two camps. When you go to work, it's all God's kingdom. When you go to church, it's God's kingdom. And when you go to school, it's God's kingdom. And when you're on that business deal, it's God's kingdom. So you better speak on that business deal as if it was under King Jesus. And businessmen, eyes up here for a moment. When you walk by the secretary's desk one too many times, it's still what? God's kingdom. Make sure you're walking correctly. Uh, everything that we do is God's kingdom. There is no sacred secular division. It's all kingdom. Everything. We are ambassadors of King Jesus. We are showing and sharing the light of Jesus. When we say the light of Jesus, what does that mean? I don't see any light radiating. No, no, no. This, this truth, God's word, God's character, God's love. You are ambassadors for Jesus Christ, for King Jesus. And everywhere you go, it is kingdom business. Your hobbies, your work, your school, your sex life, your home life, your role as a dad, your role as a mom, all of it is kingdom. And God is interested in all of it. He is to be the Lord of all of it. And he declares how it is meant to be and how it is not meant to be. He declares what marriage is and what marriage isn't. He declares he is Lord of all. What an amazing thing. We are living in a world where truth 
is now subjective. Uh, truth is now, well, there's your truth. Well, I think I'm this, or I think the world is this way. Who cares what you think? I want you to know truth is not subjective. It is empiric. It is absolute. And there is no my truth, your truth. There is only truth. Truth isn't what we want it to be. Truth is what it is. And we get to live as an ambassadors of Christ, revealing the light of God's truth everywhere we go. The light of God's love, grace, and mercy, and character everywhere we go. So that when you go shopping at Sprouts, and the girl behind the counter is ringing you up, and you see hundreds of dollars flashing on the... <laughs> you have the ability to come to her and share the love of Jesus, the truth of God's word, that all your sins can be forgiven and you can be made righteous by the work of Jesus Christ. All of your sins, past, present, and future, cleansed, by the work Jesus Christ did in his love for you on the cross. You're an ambassador for Jesus. And it's all kingdom. Even your grocery shopping. So that the boy bagging your, bat, your groceries and walking to your car. Uh, you can share the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel. Hey, your sins can be forgiven. You can be a new creation in Christ. You're an ambassador for Jesus. Uh, what an amazing privilege. Jacob doesn't grasp this. He still thinks there's God life and there's my life. Okay, I'm done going to church. Now I'm going to do deals. And when I do deals, I cheat. I swindle. I deceive to make more money. And Jacob says, oh, I'll call this place two camps. Wrong idea, Jacob. It's all what? It's all God's kingdom. It's all God's kingdom. And because Jacob doesn't understand this, his life is a mess. Everywhere he goes, turmoil follows him. Everywhere he goes, there's broken relationships and hardship and, and people who want to kill him. Everywhere he goes. You see, Jacob is spiritually stunted. I'm going to use a word that's a little bit offensive Jacob is spiritually retarded. And I mean the word in its literal sense. It is, it is retarded. It is set back. It is not advanced to its proper position. He is still a spiritual neophyte. Jacob, how long is this going to go on? And God is going to show us in just a little bit, not much longer. God's going to say, look, enough. And God is going to do something profound here. Uh, instead of resting in Father God's power and provision, God just showed him, Jacob, I'm with you. I just revealed to you a host of angels. Uh, Jacob is stressed out. And because Jacob is so smart, so intelligent, Jacob comes up with an outstanding plan to deal with this problem of, of Laban who wants to kill me to the north and Esau, who wants to kill me to the south, he comes up with an outstanding plan, as he always does. Take a look at what Jacob comes up with, verse 2. Excuse me, verse 3. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. 
in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. Edom is all the way down to the south, about 135 miles south of where he is, down south of the Dead Sea. Uh, uh, that's where he, uh, Esau is. Uh, he sends messengers before him, right, to go down and talk to Esau. Verse 4. And he commanded them, speak thus to my Lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban, Uncle Laban, and stayed there until now. It's been 20 years. Go tell Esau, I haven't seen you for 20 years. I've been staying with Uncle Laban. Verse 5, and I have oxen and donkeys and flocks and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord, that's Esau, that I have found favor in your sight. What is that that Jacob is telling his servants to go do? Hey, send messengers. going to go all the way down there. Go find my brother Esau and tell him what? I'm rich. I'm a millionaire. It's been 20 years. I'm sorry I swindled you. I'm really rich now. I hope it helps. This is what's going on in Jacob's mind. After God just showed him what? All these angels, hey, I'm with you. Jacob puts a brilliant plan together. Uh, who's he trusting in? Himself. Uh, here's a map of where, what we're looking at. Uh, Haran is all the way up to there, the top right hand of the screen. There at Padan Aram. Uh, that's where uh, Jacob lived with Laban in Haran. That's where he met his wife and had his kids. And he travels 500 miles down to, to Canaan right there to the mountains of Gilead. And there at the mountains of Gilead, right above that red star, is where Laban comes and chases after him. And uh, they make that, they build a wall right there, a border wall, right? Like, I won't go past this, you don't go past, and they have that altercation there. And now he comes down to uh, Mahanaim, and that's where the angels of God are revealed to him, and, he, and God graciously just meets him in his time of trouble and says, hey, look, I'm with you in this. And now he's there at that star, and he sends, sorry about the crack in the screen, sends 135 miles down to the south to go see, sends messengers to go Tell his brother Edom, hey, uh, Jacob's sorry, and he's a millionaire now. I hope that helps, right? That's his game plan. Verse 6. Then the messengers returned to Jacob. Now think about this. How, how much time has passed? Some time, right? Because they got 135 miles journey south. Then they find Esau, and they tell him, hey, Jacob's sorry, and he's rich. And then they come 135 miles back, 270 miles. So some time passed. The messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau. Yeah, we found him. Yeah, how'd it go? How'd it go? Did you tell him? Yeah, we told him. And guess what? He's coming to meet you with 400 men. And what do you think Jacob thinks? Oy vey. Oy vey, I'm in trouble. So Jacob was greatly afraid. And Jacob was greatly distressed. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, the other company, which is left, will, be, will escape. Uh, this is a brilliant military strategy. 
and it shows you just how shrewd and how sharp he is. Man, this is smart. Jacob's in trouble. And he goes, what do I do, man? I'm going to, I'm going to, he's coming with 400 guys. And he comes up with this brilliant military plan of dividing the, and if they attack us here, we'll go off this way. And if they attack us here, we'll go off this way. And he's strategizing. What do you think Jacob is thinking in his heart as Esau comes back to him? Why in the world did I ever deceive my brother? Oh, if I could do it over again, what a stupid thing to do. Do you think Jacob is regretting that single day when he deceived his brother twice, two different times? What a foolish thing to do. I want you to know our sin always comes back to haunt us. Uh, There is a way that seems right to a man, but it doesn't work, and it brings destruction. And all the pain that it brings Jacob back. Uh, I have a quote from Spurgeon uh, that uh, I love on this. Uh, Let me hear you read this. Depend on it. Let me hear you. Our sins will come home to us sooner or later. Uh, Yeah, that's a good preacher right there. Depend on it, man. Uh, James would say this way. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows... And Jacob's reaping it right now. He's going, what did I do that for? And it reminds us, doesn't it? Sin often looks so attractive in the beginning. But in the end, it always produces pain and death. God's way may seem difficult on on the front side, but it always produces joy and life abundant. May we remember this when temptation comes knocking at our door. To scheme, to lie, to deceive, to get what we want for the moment. Don't go that path. Jacob's facing that right now. Jacob is brilliant. He's a strategist. What a great plan. Problem? He's still terrified. Why are you terrified, Jacob? You got this plan. Why is he terrified? Because he's at the end of his rope. And even his best plan still isn't good enough to get him out of this situation. He's in trouble. He's got angry Laban up to the north. And he's got angry Esau to the south, and he's got nowhere to go. And you know what we learn? You know what we we find? Uh, Human strength is just not enough. Human strength, it's finite at best, and it's relatively impotent. Uh, It's just not enough. And Jacob is here going, man, even my best plan, and he's still scared to death. Jacob has great wealth. Jacob has all kinds of power. Jacob has servants galore, but it's all inadequate to save his life. It's all inadequate to save his family or to even fix this problem. And isn't it interesting how easily crushed we are? Isn't it interesting how easily trodden underfoot we are? We can have a big, huge bank account, everything's set, and we go into the doctor and with just a snap of a glove, Our life can change like that. We're not that strong. Why then would we put our faith and our confidence in ourselves instead of the true and living God? Stressed out, powerless, Jacob finally does something. He prays. 
We're going to read this next verse, and we're going to see that Jacob prays. This is only the second time in Scripture that we read of Jacob praying, which is fascinating because the Bible gives a lot of chapters to Jacob's life, and this is only the second time he has ever prayed. The last time he prayed was at Bethel when God appeared to him there and, and, and spoke to him, and Jacob prayed a horrible prayer. Do you remember it? Well, God, if you do all these things that you just promised you would do, if you make me rich and you give me a lot of, give me a wife and give me a lot of kids and give me all kinds of wealth and, and you do all these things for me, you give me this homeland and you bring the Messiah through me and you give me a nation and you give me divine protection and I come back to this land and now you do all these things, well, then I'll worship you and I'll, I'll tithe. I'll tithe. And God goes, wow, Jacob, you do that for me? Like, like as if God needs Jacob's tithe. Are you kidding me? Horrible prayer, horrible prayer. Only two prayers recorded of Jacob. This prayer, by the way, is brilliant. This prayer is entirely different. This prayer is worthy of commendation, and this prayer is worthy of emulation. So let's look at it together. Let's see if we can learn. There's some great things here. Uh, Jacob prays, uh, verse 9. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, God who was the God from the beginning of time, God the eternal God, the Lord, uses the covenant name, capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, Yahweh, Jehovah, and then underline this, who said to me, the best thing you can ever do in prayer is repeat God's words. When you are praying God's words, you have a good prayer going. God, you said to me, return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. You see, something happens when we remember what God has told us. When we remember God's word, it changes us. And we walk accordingly. Lord, I remember uh, uh, this, that you've done this, right? You said this. Verse 10, I am not worthy. Underline that. Uh, I'm not amazing. I act like I'm amazing all the time. Lord, I'm not worthy. I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've fallen. I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies. And of all the truth which you have shown your servant. Lord, you've been so merciful to me. If you would punish me for my sin, I wouldn't even be able to stand. But Lord, your mercies are new every morning. You've been so good to me. And you've given me truth. You've given me instruction. You've given me guidance. I haven't walked in it, Lord. But your truth, it's, it's, it's right. And I know in my heart it's right. Uh, you've given me this truth. And I'm holding on to it now. This truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan River with just my staff. And now I have become two companies. He looks back and he says, Lord, I remember when I had to leave home and I had nothing. All I had was just nothing. I just had this stick in my hand. I didn't have any wealth. I had nothing. I was all alone. And Lord, you've blessed me abundantly. Now I have so much that uh, we're... We're just taking up acres of land with all my livestock and everything. Verse 11, deliver me. This is the thesis of his prayer. Deliver me 
For I pray, deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. Uh, he's just honest. Uh, Lord, I need help, man. I'm in trouble. I've wronged my brother. He hates me. I've made mistakes, and now he wants to kill me. And I, I, I'm afraid of my life, and I'm afraid for my kids and for my wife. And Lord, I'm in a bad situation. Verse 12. For you said, underline that, he, he repeats God's words again. For you said, I will surely treat you well, and I will make your descendants as have the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. And here he quotes back to God the Abrahamic covenant that God gave to him at Bethel back in chapter 28 when God reaffirmed this covenant with him. And he quotes it back to God, says, God, this is all you have done. Right? Uh, really powerful. Here we, we, we see Jacob holding on to the truths of God's word and praying this beautiful prayer. And man, it is worthy of emulation. Uh, it was smart to pray this way. So he lodged there that same night and he took what came to, to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewe lambs, 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts. Uh, camels, by the way, were extremely valuable. It was a, an equivalent to having a semi-truck in today's economy. Uh, and he's got their uh, 30 semi-trucks. And little colts, new semi-trucks on the production line. 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 foals. You add it all up, you get 550 animals, all of them that he's giving as a gift to Esau. How wealthy is Jacob? He is incredibly wealthy. Then he delivered all these 550 animals into the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself. And he said to his servants... Pass over before me and put some distance between the successive droves. I want these animals to come through in waves uh, and then have a big gap with nothing and then another wave with more animals. And he commanded the first one saying, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you saying, to whom do you belong and where are you going and whose are all these animals, all these herds in front of you? Then you shall say, they are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my Lord Esau. And behold, he, that be Jacob, is also behind, behind us. Uh, he gives the instruction to, to his servants. He says, hey, I want you to take this massive drove of animals. And I want you to have them all going before you. And then when you see Esau, say, this is your, your brother, your servant. And all these animals he's giving as a gift to you, right? Uh, and then uh, he's going to send them through in waves. So he commanded, verse 19, Jacob commanded the second and the third, uh, all these different waves of animals that would be going through, right? The, uh, and all who followed in the drove, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with a present 
that goes before me, and afterwards I will see his face, and perhaps he will accept me. Uh, so this is Jacob's plan. It's a good plan. How many of you say, that's a good plan? Uh, but how sure is it? Who knows if it's going to work or not, right? Uh, here we see how feeble our, our best plans are. Uh, verse 21, so the present went on before him, before Jacob, but he himself, Jacob himself, lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and he took his two wives and his two female servants, that's his, uh, his two uh, concubines, his two uh, wives that brought children to him, and his 11 sons and his daughter, uh, his 12 kids, and he crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And then he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. And now read verse 24 with me. Let me hear you in a loud voice. Then Jacob was left alone. Let's stop there. Then Jacob was left alone. Jacob sends all this on. Yeah, uh, he, he, he finally prays to God. But then he goes back to his plan. And he sends all this on. And what is he hoping? Sends us all the animals on, sends them in droves, gives the instruction. Hey, these are gifts. Try to make Esau happy. Let him know I'm his servant. Let him know I'm a millionaire now. Tell him uh, there's more of this coming. Uh, he's going to bless you. He can keep it all. Uh, I'm hoping that he, his anger is appeased. And then he sends his wife on. You go ahead. And, and he's hoping to have a good night's sleep. They're all by himself. Why? Because in the morning, guess who he's meeting? Esau. And he wants to be rested and all rested up just in case he's got to run in the morning. He's got his Nikes by his bedstand. He's got extra Band-Aids on his feet. He wants to get a good night's sleep. He's ready for a marathon here. And God has other plans for Jacob. Jacob wants a good night's sleep, and God says, not going to happen. Take a look. Verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone. His brilliant plan, there it is. And a man pops out of nowhere and wrestles with him until the break of day. What? That was not my plan. I wanted a good night's sleep. We're going to find out. You know who this man is? This man is God. In a human body. Crazy. Scholars believe this is a Christophany. An appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. Uh, verse 25. Now when he, that's God, this man, saw that he, that's God, did not prevail against him, that's Jacob. He, God, touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. Crazy. Really crazy. God, what are you doing? God appears to Jacob as a man? Are you kidding me? And then he gets into a physical wrestling match with Jacob? God, what are you doing? This wasn't a spiritual wrestling match. This was a physical wrestling match. How do we know? His hip is popped out of socket. Right? Uh, 
It's kind of like when Jesus resurrected from the, from the grave. He just comes into the room, just comes through the door, just appears in the room with the disciples behind locked doors. And so that they knew he wasn't, they weren't just having a vision afterwards. They didn't go, maybe we just had a vision. He goes, hey, you got anything to eat? And he eats in front of them. And he shows them the physical side of it, right? Well, God does the same thing here. This isn't, a, this isn't an apparition. This is a physical wrestling match. What is God doing? Touches Jacob's hip, makes it out of socket. Have you ever had a, a joint come out of socket? Oh, I have. Uh, when I was younger, I had my shoulder come out of socket a couple times before I had surgery. It is the most painful thing ever. And when it comes out of socket, you, you do one thing. You do the worm on the ground until it goes back in, right? It's like, it's painful. And here is Jacob wrestling God, and God touches his hip out of socket. What, God, what are you doing? This is a, how many would you say, this is a crazy story. God wrestling a man as a man. Crazy. If God wanted to harm Jacob, could he just harm Jacob? Uh, he doesn't need to wrestle him to make his hip go out of socket. He could just say, uh... Have him trip on a stone and throw his hip out of socket. And that could have happened. Why then does God wrestle with Jacob? Well, God is showing us something. You see, Jacob had been wrestling God his entire life. And many of us in this room have been wrestling God our entire life. We would like to have this idea that me and God just walking hand in hand, footprints in the sand, kumbaya. And when I stumble, God picks me up and carries me and there's only one set of footprints in the sand. Oh. And there is some truth to that, by the way. There is truth to that. But I want you to know our walk with God is oftentimes a wrestling match as we trust in ourselves instead of trusting in God. And we do things our way instead of doing things God's way. And God is saying, for all you Jacobs in the world, let me show you what this looks like. This is a wrestling match. And God tells Jacob, Jacob, I'm tired of you wrestling with me. Wow. Uh, what a picture. Uh, this man who's been wrestling with God his entire life. Verse 26. And he, God, said, let me go, for the day breaks. It's almost on. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Uh, Jacob's still wrestling with a dislocated hip. And God says, that's it. I'm done. Let me go. And Jacob finally cries out. In the book of Hosea, chapter 12, it tells us, gives us some commentary on this, tells us what actually happened. Jacob wept bitterly before the Lord in brokenness. And then God blessed him when Jacob was broken. I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so God blesses him. And look at verse 27. He says to him, what is your name? Does God not know Jacob's name? Yes. yes. But a name represents, we said, a name represents what? Character. Your character. And God is saying, Jacob, what is your character? And Jacob answers, my name is Jacob. My name is deceiver. My name is trickster. My name is heel catcher. My name is the wheeler dealer. Verse 28, and he, God, said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God your entire life. 
and you have struggled with man your entire life, and you have prevailed, or you have endured. Then Jacob said, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he, that's God, blessed him there. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. Peniel means face of God. For I have seen God face to face, and my life was preserved. And just as he crossed over Penuel, Penuel is just, an, uh, uh, it means the same thing, face of God, just a different spelling. The sun rose up on him, and notice this, look at this, and he what? He limped on his hip, unable to do what? Unable to run. Jacob said, please bless me, Lord. And God said, I will. I'll take away your ability to be trusting in your own strength anymore. I'm going to make you depend completely on me. And then rich blessings will flow into your life the moment you depend completely on me. So Jacob, hoping to get a good night long, eight hours sleep, rested in the morning, ready to run. Instead, God says, nope, you're going to wrestle with me all night long, and then you're not going to be able to run in the morning. You're going to be tired and worn out, and all you're going to be able to do is trust in me. The place where blessings flow. Verse 32 Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is in the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Uh, Interesting story, man. Interesting story. This Jacob who had been wrestling God his entire life. uh, Wrestling with man his entire life. He wrestled from birth. His brother Esau, grabbing his heel as he came out of the womb, uh, became teenagers and tricked him, uh, became older and deceived him, all did it all for a birthright, and he succeeded, he prevailed. He had been wrestling his dad his entire life, uh, wrestling his dad for the blessing, uh, and he prevailed, he succeeded. He had been wrestling with Laban for his entire life, uh, for 20 years, wrestling Laban for wealth, and he prevailed, he succeeded. He's been wrestling God his entire life, and he's prevailed. And here in verse 28, God asks an interesting question, does he not? You've been wrestling me your entire life. You've been wrestling man your entire life, and you've prevailed. Jacob, you've had your way, but I have a question for you. How well has that worked out for you? How well is prevailing working out for you? A trail of broken relationships wherever you go. A trail of broken relationships behind you. People who want to kill you. People who hate you. Now you're running and you're scared and you have nowhere to go. Uh, God is asking Jacob, how's life, little wrestler? How's life? You like doing it your way? And Jacob finally cries out, Lord, I give up. I surrender. Please bless me. And he does it with weeping. And God says, I will bless you. I will make you dependent upon me. And rich blessings will flow into your life. And God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. From deceiver, from trickster, from swindler to Israel. Israel governed by God, 
from deceiver to governed by God. And can I tell you something, church family? This is the exact work that he wants to do in Jacob's life, and it is also the exact work what? He wants to do in your life. And be careful, you who are super talented and super gifted and super smart and good on your feet, because you will continue to trust in who? In your own abilities. And yet, on your best day, your strength is limited and impotent and not enough. May we be wise. Jacob will now learn how to trust God. And this deceiver becomes a man governed by God. And he does that, he learns that, he grows in that through brokenness. And I want you to know brokenness is the very thing that God is looking for in our lives. Why is brokenness so important to God? Why? What is the value of brokenness? Well, the value of brokenness is that we will quit doing it our way and we will do it God's way. Uh, I uh, wrote this for you on your screens, uh, Jacob to Israel. Brokenness would not be a prized virtue if there were not a loving God who powerfully leads all who surrender their lives to him. You see, if there is no loving God who's leading, guiding, and directing and has incredible power that he will use to build you and for your and, and to and to and to for your good and for his glory if there was not a loving god to do this what good would brokenness do well it wouldn't at all and that's why the world looks at brokenness and says that's the last thing i want to be but in god's economy it is the entryway into the blessings of the kingdom jesus was called the stone which the builders rejected the foundation stone. And Jesus' words, verbatim, he says, I am the stone which the builders rejected. And if you fall on this stone, you will be what? Broken. But if this stone falls on you, you will be crushed to powder. Choice is yours. You either allow yourself to be broken on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. Lord, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I need your righteousness. My strength is impotent. I need your strength. My will is flawed. Your will is perfect. My ways are sinful. Your ways are holy. We fall on that stone and we are broken. And we find that we get life and life abundant. We refuse and we find that that stone will crush us to powder. Eternity in hell. Choice is ours. Brokenness is not a feeling, by the way. Brokenness is not an emotion. Brokenness is the absolute surrender of my will to God's will. Sometimes we get caught, we get busted, we get caught for our sin, we get caught for messing up, and we feel broken. That is not necessarily brokenness. That is just an emotion of sorrow. Brokenness is surrendering my will to the will of God. And it's the very thing that God is looking for in our life so that he might show himself strong on our behalf. Brokenness is saying yes to, to the Lord uh, with no resistance, with no chafing, with no stubbornness. Just saying yes, Lord, to your direction, to your will in my life. This is what God wants to do in us. This is his wrestling match with us. And when it happens, when we surrender, he changes us. He gives us a new name, a new character. And that character is from the inside. The Bible calls it being born again. And it's when your heart then desires the things of God 
instead of the things of your own way. It's a great place to be. And the point of the gospel is to bring our brokenness to Jesus, who redeems our brokenness and makes us whole. And the beauty of brokenness is that it opens our eyes to the power that comes from relying on God. And it is when life begins. Uh, Jacob is finally broken for God. Uh, Jacob is is now finally going to trust in God and not his own plan. And here we will see the power of God beginning to unfold powerfully in Jacob's life. As God brings reconciliation, changes Esau's heart towards Jacob. And the two have a relationship. As God brings Jacob into the promised land, chapter 33, and gives him a homeland in the promised land. And for the first time in Jacob's life, do you know what Jacob has? Peace. Can you imagine? Peace. We'll look at that next week. The God of peace. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.